Hi everyone, my name is Maya Wolf, and today we're going to be talking about Black Lives Matter and the effectiveness of nonviolent action versus violence as a mechanism for change in a movement. This podcast aims to explore whether nonviolent action is more successful than violent methods by highlighting results from the civil rights movement as well as the current Black Lives Matter movement's progress. Furthermore, this podcast touches on the influence that the media and social media play on movements revolving around racial injustice, both in the past as well as in today's movement. First, let's briefly explore whether violent or nonviolent action has proven to be more successful in past racial injustice movements and why. Several studies examining varying historical periods and geographical contexts showed similar results. That while violent endeavors received more attention from the media and from the public, nonviolent methods still elicit more durable and internally peaceful democracies that are less likely to regress into civil war. Hence, debunking the myth that violence is necessary to achieve certain political goals. Studies taken from a number of reputable sources have also shown that nonviolent resistance, quote, presents fewer obstacles to moral and physical involvement and commitment, and that higher levels of participation contribute to enhanced resilience, greater opportunities for tactical innovation and civic disruption, and therefore less incentive for a regime to maintain its status quo. And shifts in loyalty among opponents' erstwhile supporters, including members of the military establishment, end quote. A parallel can be drawn between recent BLM protests and the civil rights movement, as both are race-based movements that seek to address issues of institutionalized racism, Moreover, both are movements that employed both violent and nonviolent tactics of civil resistance in order to have their grievances recognized by the government and society. The specific protest tactics used during the civil rights movement have been well documented, and as a result, research has been conducted on the historical impact of these protests on American society. The analysis lends evidence to indicate that peaceful protests and nonviolent action led by Martin Luther King Jr. had a significant and positive correlation with the successful enactment of state-level anti-discrimination legislation, specifically pertaining to private housing. Violent protests, on the other hand, that emerged as Malcolm X became a major voice within the movement, are found to have large, negative, and statistically significant effects on the enactment of fair private housing legislation and fair employment commissions. These are just a few examples, and there is a rather large platform of analyses demonstrating the successes of past nonviolent action in regards to civil rights, as well as how violent action has been highly publicized, but nonetheless somewhat hindered the cause. However, while nonviolent action has clearly created positive systemic change, is it enough to transform our oppressive state, or do we need to dismantle the state entirely? And furthermore, is nonviolent protest transformative, or does it serve to reinforce our inherently oppressive institutions?
Let's talk about protests as a means for political action for a minute. Historical examples appear to illustrate the fact that, yes, protests have resulted in major victories for the participating groups. As protests grow in America, every facet of the electoral process is touched by this loud minority, benefiting the political party perceived to be the most supportive of the protesters' messaging. Studies have shown that nonviolent protests increase voter turnout to the left, while violent protests will cause an increase in right-sided voter turnout. Furthermore, protests serve as money-making endeavors for electoral politics, as voters are likely to donate more to political candidates sharing their ideological leanings of activists. Finally, because protests signal political problems, this encourages experienced political figures to challenge incumbents in elections, especially if there is global support or pressure, such as we're currently seeing in the Black Lives Matter movement, which is gaining support across the globe. An interesting study taken from the Journal of Quantitative Criminology examined the effects of protests on subsequent police killings from over 700 racial uprisings. Results from the study showed that protests increased the number of deaths of both non-white and white civilians due to legal intervention. But while the death toll of white civilians due to police brutality reverts back to original levels after a couple of years, the number of non-white deaths by the police remains elevated seemingly permanently, highlighting a rather depressing reality that protests represent a structural change in police-civilian relations and negatively affects non-white civilians in the long term. Thus, increasing protests perhaps also increases the likelihood of police intervention and violence, resulting in death towards people of color, so, while protests are definitely beneficial in many aspects, if even peaceful protests have proven to create lasting negative effects on people of color, are they worth the harm produced? And how do we change this reality? Now, how does the media come into play in all of this? A study produced from Princeton University found that nonviolent action drives media coverage, framing widespread public opinion and congressional speech on civil rights, so that there is an increase in the majority group support and turnout for Democratic voter share. On the contrary, protester-initiated violence helped move news agendas and elicited public concern towards social control. And as I said, voter turnout shifted more towards the right. The study also warns us of how news media often primes audiences with crime scripts in order to heighten the affect towards African Americans and induce feelings of fear. There could be many reasons why this is such a common occurrence. Political agendas, deeply ingrained institutional racism, funding, and so on. But it is definitely important to be aware of this phenomena happening around us every single day. With this in mind, protester-initiated violence consistently gets more media coverage than nonviolent occurrences. Furthermore, protests that are nonviolent are sometimes escalated and can contain small elements of violence seen by a few individuals, and thus tend to be portrayed in the media as wholly violent when they are actually largely peaceful, again hurting the cause of the movement and insinuating these crime scripts being fed to the public. 
A study published in the journal PLOS-1 analyzing data over a 21-month period capturing frequencies of police deadly force against civilians uh, in social media coverage illustrated that social media coverage of Black Lives Matter increases the risk of fatality for both law enforcement officers and minorities, with possible explanations being rational choice and terror management. The article highlights that negative posts are much more likely to be shared than neutral ones. Therefore, posts exhibiting violence and hatred towards police and or protesters are much more likely to be shared and furthermore, could potentially lead to an increase in future events of the like. The article's research discovers that tweets related to Black Lives Matter are associated with increases in the number of law enforcement officers and minorities shot and killed. Thus, social media plays a direct role in the consequences of the movement. It's important to also note that while we are taught in history class, etc., that figures such as Martin Luther King Jr. are definitely heroes for their work and for their effective practice of nonviolence, it's not to say that they were not hated during their time. While M- MLK did in fact practice nonviolence effectively, he was hated by many during his time. The media portrayed him as a villain inciting terror, and he was stoned and, as we know, assassinated, even though he was largely peaceful in his methods of change. Examples of the media shaping news to instill terror in the public, therefore, is not a new phenomenon in this day and age. While we hear a lot about the violence occurring in the protests today, looting, burning down stores by protesters, and so on, We hear way less about all of the hundreds of protests that have remained completely peaceful. These small episodes of destruction done by by protesters should not be the epicenter of media coverage. So I ask, what is the role of the media in these situations? Even if posts such as on social media are meant with good intentions, but in the end cause more harm, how do we change this? What should we be posting and sharing on our own social media platforms? And finally, what is the role of the protesters, who are often untrained in civil action, versus the police, who are trained to respond with brute violence when unprovoked? Is this behavior simply accepted because it is so legitimized by the state? So I had the privilege of talking with two friends, Jamaica Ford and Sam Martin, who helped organize many of the protests occurring in Portland, Maine, to understand their take on the situation as a whole. We discussed questions such as, what is the duty of peaceful protesters if they are met with unprovoked violence? Is nonviolent action a fast enough catalyst for political change? Um, And this is in terms of as violence tends to bring urgency to an issue while nonviolent action tends to bring awareness. We also talked about how is the media shaping the scope of the Black Lives Matter movement right now? Is it beneficial or is it detrimental? And how do we promote the media to report on nonviolent action instead of violent occurrences? Finally, we talked about Um, Just the comparison of today's Black Lives Matter movement with the civil rights movement. Um, And does this movement today have enough momentum to have satisfying, lasting effects on ending racial injustice finally? 
Let's hear what they had to say. Like what, um, I don't know if you heard me saying that earlier about the duty of a peaceful protester. Um, if they're being met with unprovoked violence is like, I think for us, it was, there was probably what, like 10, nine to like 12 of us. Mm-hmm. And so for me, every time we were out there, it was like, all right, got to keep everyone in, in check. Like, where is everyone looking around, mm-hmm. looking around? Mm-hmm. Or like, there was one protest where, I don't know if it was you or your brother, but like one, one of the boys was on a bicycle riding through the protest to like keep eyes on us. Mm-hmm. And um, the other brother was like in a car waiting to see like if we had to do the dash and like that was a safety outlet yeah. or, you know, like knowing if we broke off into pairs or, you know, stuff like that. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like the duty is to make sure your people are good. Like if you're going to stand on the police steps and yell to thousands of people that you're being peaceful, like you, you got to make sure you stay peaceful. And it's right. hard to when, you know, you look up at the Hampton Inn while you're standing on police steps, police are behind you and you look up and there's a sniper rifle. Mm-hmm. Like, that's scary. Like, that doesn't make you want to, like, remain peaceful. Right. So I think, like, the duty is to be able to keep a cool head or to know that there are people around you that can bring you back if you lose your temper. Right. That's a good point. Do you think that, um, like, one of my questions along the lines of, like, um, well, there's been a lot of research that, like, nonviolent protests get more done in the long term but at the same time it just kind of brings awareness and doesn't bring always like urgency to an issue um so I don't know like what are your thoughts on that I guess I see both sides I mean I haven't been personally at a violent protest so I can't like fully speak on that but obviously like we we can see what's happening um in terms of like peaceful protests I think are super important because I mean think about in general like if you're arguing with someone if you are yelling at someone or they're yelling at you like your brain literally can't retain all the information like you go into defensive mode Mm -hmm. so when you have these you know violent protests going on it does bring awareness but it's hard for it to to make people want to change And, you know, you can't change everyone's mind and have them do it out of the kindness of their heart, but you can force people to have to change. Mm -hmm. But I think you have to be able to figure out how to have a conversation. And, like, that's for me, like, because I grew up in a mad, small, racist hick down in Maine, Mm -hmm. and I was an angry kid. I was fighting people all the time. I didn't care. I was yelling. And, like, it's only been the last handful of years where I was like, wow, I can get my point across if I just talk. Right. And speak, you know, and like, because people need to hear. Right. But they won't, and they'll just label you mm-hmm. like you're jumping into a stereotype that they want to put you in. Right, mm-hmm. for sure. So they're provoking you, hoping that you turn out to be the angry black chick or the black male aggressor or, you know, stuff like right. that. Mm-hmm. So it's for me, like it's better like. News too. Yeah, like, I gotta remind myself, mm-hmm. like, that person is baiting me. They won't mm-hmm. want me to react, mm-hmm. you know, so they can just go, oh, you know, there's, you know, another black person that's angry and violent, and mm-hmm. this is why we're out here, so. Yeah. I think for me, like, I don't know, I I think more change can come 
of peacefulness. But I think the violent protests are like, like Portland, Oregon. That's literally Portland being like, nah, like, like you're not going to stop us. Right. And they're now going out of their, you know, I mean, they have been going out of their way, but like they're doing some really shady shit. But like Portland is still like, no, yo, we're not stopping. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important too, the resilience. And Definitely. I mean, right now, in my opinion, all they can do is, is I don't even know if I like saying violent, they're defending themselves. Mm-hmm. The cops are the ones making it violent. Mm-hmm. You show up to a peaceful protest with riot shields mm-hmm. and tear gas mm-hmm. in exactly. Maine. And you're shooting at, like, a, that, that night when we got stuck up there after sunset, it was predominantly, like, young black boys that had to run around and kept telling them, put your mask on, put your mask on. We were talking about, on number five, like, how is the media shaping the scope of the BLM movement right now? Do you think it's beneficial or detrimental? It's like, yo, it's so hard to see good news. Mm-hmm. But, no, absolutely. Well, it's, it's skewed. It's, it's all about language, too. Right. You know? And so it's like, you know... For me, um, I remember when, when Trayvon Martin was killed and people didn't understand like why All Eyes Matter was insulting. And then I had I never really knew how to explain it to people until I heard it in the middle of a protest and someone um, said, all lives can't matter until black lives matter. Mm-hmm. So it's like you have to change the language to make people's like brains turn on mm-hmm. because we've been conditioned for so long to think certain ways. But exactly what you're saying, Sam, where it's like the news, like purposely chooses those words. Yeah, they they want to say rioters, so like you said, they immediately assume that you're violent and you're doing something just because you want to like mess things up. Mm-hmm. Not that you're a protester out there that got tear gassed mm-hmm. or. You know, I I don't know, why are we even out here in the first place? Because we, like, black people keep getting killed. Like, that's reason enough for you to want to, like, mess shit up in your city. Well, so, like, what about with social media, though? Because, so, um, obviously, like, texts that, or tweets that have more of, like, a negative um, meaning behind them are, like, a lot more shared. And so, there's been, like, some articles on people writing posts and if they're like more negative towards black lives matter or just more like um evoking of emotions they're going to be shared a lot more and it's like having it's creating more violence kind of as like a waterfall effect because of it versus Mm -hmm. when there's like peaceful messages that are shared it's not they're not going to be like retweeted so much so it's like how does how do you think that that plays into? Uh, I think it plays in a lot, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like what you're like what we're doing right now, like recording stuff like this, recording ourselves, is like what we have to mm-hmm. do because the odds are in our favor. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. yeah, there there are news stations that cover us and stuff, but like like the Portland Press Herald, for example, like. Just the way they word things is just so generic to me. Mm-hmm. And I got reached out to a couple times by different news places, and I just chose not to because I don't know what you're going to do with my words. Mm-hmm. Right. And right. so I feel like you're exactly right. I think also, too, like the more these videos mm-hmm. of black people being killed, murdered mm-hmm. by the cops, it's yes, bringing awareness, but I think it's also making racists comfortable because it's like, 
wow, okay, we can watch George Floyd be knelt on for eight minutes and 46 seconds and nothing is, like, happening. Like, I think that right. scarily brings, like, comfort to racists. Right. And... More, like, hate and emotion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so like, I feel like, I mean, we've known this. Like, why, we're out here in the streets getting shot at because, like, right. we know that we have to come as come together as individuals. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, educational is... The education part is huge. Mm-hmm. So podcasts, poems, everything, mm-hmm. like, that's why I write it. So mm-hmm. I started having people record my... Um, like when I speak at mm-hmm. protests, because there's a lot of people who are immune compromised, can't get out there, or they just need to hear it in a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think it's kind of on us to use our platforms personally. Yeah. yeah. The term fast enough is what uh, is getting me mm-hmm. because like we've been doing this for not we, but like this movement going on forever. Like, mm-hmm. right. like my grandpa's dad was lynched by the KKK. Uh, He's from Montgomery, Alabama, or was, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was like, it came from Martin Luther King Jr., you know? And then it's like, here I am, 26 and 2020, doing the same shit. Mm-hmm. So I think what's going on right now in terms of like peaceful protests and like what we're talking about doing, like speaking and stuff, is fast enough, if you will, because like you said with the unlearning thing, like you have to find a way. To break it down mm-hmm. and like people are social media with everything has taught us to have instant gratification mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is things that worked in our in our favor was quarantine mm-hmm. being home on their phones and then suddenly like they have access to all this information but for me it's i've been having these conversations since i was like 10 mm-hmm. you know into grown what doing and i didn't even know what microaggression meant and that I've been dealing with them a month ago. I've been dealing with them my whole life, but that is like I was one of the few black people in my town, so I had to figure out ways to explain to people because if you don't see other cultures you're gonna sit really ignorant stuff. So like I feel like with what we're doing with protests is us finding ways to tell the public like this isn't like in your eyes. Right. And I think it is I think it's bringing a lot of change, but it sucks because this is going to be a long fight. Mm-hmm. However, if there's anything positive that comes out of it, if it makes one, you know, black boy sleep at night, if he finds a new hero that he's speak on the television, that's change. Right. You know, you know, even people just telling truth. Like I've learned and grown so much by just being able to yell to the public, like, listen to me. Mm-hmm. Like when I'm yelling when in the middle of a protest, like I'm just, like it feels like the small child in me that was never heard is like, and those that is changed. So systematically, obviously, there's a lot that we got to do, but I think there are huge changes, especially in Portland, Maine. So there's been a lot of protests of the like of what Jamaica and Sam were talking about where protesters come in peacefully and are met with unwarranted violence by the police. Um, 
an opinion piece I found in the New York Times written by Brandon Del Pozo, who was the chief of police in Burlington, Vermont for four years and is currently a New York police officer for 19 years, wrote this piece of um, a protest happening in Seattle, Washington. So in his words, on a mild June evening, a large but peaceful group of protesters supporting the BLM movement marches towards Capitol Hill in a neighborhood of Seattle. Minutes later, the march ended in chaos as the police lobbed flash and grenades and sprayed the protesters with tear gas and pepper spray. Video of the clash is widely seen online and it offers a lesson on how not to handle a crowd, but it also demonstrates a deeper problem in American policing, how officers often double down on a colleague's decision with potentially huge consequences. So the crowd comes in, they don't appear to be threatening, maybe they're a little bit loud, but they're using no violence. They're not trying to breach the barriers. Um, Before using force against a crowd of protesters, officers, um, Del Pozo writes, should always warn protesters of what might happen if they don't disperse and give them an opportunity to comply. No warning is heard in this case. The encounter turns violent, when an officer yanks at an innocent protester's umbrella. Officers nearby quickly respond to this one officer's action and blast the area with pepper spray. Perhaps they misread the skirmish as a sign that protesters are turning violent, or perhaps they used it as a reason to break up the crowd with force. Either way, to disperse a crowd, pepper spray should be aimed above people's heads, but some officers pointed it directly at protesters' faces. What kind of emergency justified using pepper spray and tear gas against hundreds of people in what had been a loud but peaceful protest? Had the police patiently held the line until the protest naturally broke up, would this have happened? This spot is the site of frequent protests. Days later, officers were still using force without warning, grabbing at umbrellas, deploying pepper spray, and throwing flashbangs. City officials started questioning their judgment. The mayor, the city council, and a federal judge eventually prohibited the police from using tear gas against protesters. When the officers scaled back their response, the demonstrations, for the most part, broke up without intervention, showing what can happen when the police approach a situation intending to keep the peace. Thus, it's clear that violence is not needed in these situations of protest, and often just cause more harm. When police officers come in without violence, we can really have a lasting effect um, and really cause change for the movement in a positive way. So it really goes to show that nonviolence is definitely the way to go about these protests. As my friend Jamaica touched on, we do have the power to shape the media, our political situation, tip the elections, and cause lasting change. But it's important that we are intentional in our daily actions. Unfortunately, that's all the time that we have for today. But thank you so much to everyone for listening, and I hope that everyone stays safe and healthy in this crazy world.